bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who stay busy with their lunch. Yo anda bochinche. Paquete con pinche. You know what they said? Got too busy, got too thinking. Aquí en esta mesa se respeta como ñón. Si la copa está llena, yo te doy la bendición. So what if we get batches? We from the Bronx. That's it. Don't get it twisted. We be going to Manhattan. Be a queen. Be a boss. Ladies who brunch are popping off. Hey, we pop, pop, and pop it off. We, we pop, pop, All pop right. The episode's about to start. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good, everybody? This is Skittles. And this week, <laughs> I am so excited to share this beautiful, beautiful artist. She is not only a playwright, but she is a visionary for her community. She works really hard to make sure that the connections that we make are strong, stable, and safe. She continuously builds safe spaces for people, and I admire her so much. And she keeps me on my toes, and she keeps me motivated every time I try to hide from the fact that I'm a playwright or a theater artist. And she always yanks me back in a little bit with love, like, "Oh, you know, you don't have to, but you don't have to, but." And I always <laughs> appreciate um, that she has so much dedication, not just to me, but to so many other um, Latinx artists in the theater world. Guadalice, who the fuck are you? Hey! <laughs> um, thank you for that, Julissa. I'm over here like, espérate. <laughs> you know, we gotta do affirming our people. You gotta say stuff like that. Come on. Okay, not just in special occasions. Like, you gotta, you know? You're right, you're right. Feed, like, that's the thing about feeding into each other, right? The, how we how we feed into each other. But yeah, no, que le voy a agregar yo a eso. I have nothing else to say. Um, yeah, no, I'm a playwright. Um, I'm an activist, uh, an advocate, not an activist. Um, and I'm a performer. Um, and, you know, I like to fuck around when I'm not being serious about stuff. Yes. Can't wait. I, because I'm the first thing that jumped out was the advocate, not an activist. Can you just expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. So I'm not like boots on the ground and like really dedicating myself in the ways that activists do. So it's just weird. Like people have been starting to like tag on activists to my name and I'm like, no. I know activists that have literally made, you know, this work their lives and it just for me for me this isn't anything that I'm putting in on anyone but just for me personally like it would feel facetious for me to say yeah I'm an activist when I know people that have transformed their lives in the ways to be you know actual activists like mm. you know activism is is serious work and it impacts people um so to take on that name for me wouldn't feel accurate because I'm not like living that life you know what I mean Yes. Yes. And I love that you say that because a lot of times, like people do that with me sometimes too, where they're like, oh, she's an activist. And I always, I always use the word advocate because I'm like, no, I'm just using my voice to help. But there's a lot more than just a voice, right? That needs help. Like, like activists speaking out, like actually it's almost like activists seldom are speaking out. They're, they're in the weeds, they're in the ground and they're doing the work. So Mm -hmm. They're the ones you see, you know what I mean? And then the advocates, I feel sometimes, are the people who are like, you know, amplifying, but aren't necessarily on the ground. So I think it's an important distinction because as we move forward in this country right now, I feel like 
the difference is important because there's yeah. a level of support that needs to be given to the activist, right? And I think people need to understand what it means to advocate for people and that the idea of advocacy isn't now tied to like an identity trait, like, oh, I happen to be an advocate. It's like, no, everybody advocates. It's about understanding how we're gonna use our power collectively to do so for, for things that, that help us all rather than just self-advocacy. So, I, you know, I don't know. I just think it's great that you made that distinction. Yeah. You say it. I was like, yes, somebody else. Yes. Too, right? I, I had never heard somebody, anybody say that. So that's why I was like, oh, like, pause. <laughs> well, you know, it makes me think of like Tarana Burke and the whole Me Too movement where it's like all of a sudden, like she literally had dedicated her life right. to this work. And she all of a sudden became like, you know, not the most visible person. Like the ways in which activists should actually be leading movements and should be the the you know the voices of reason that we listen to um and again it's not because I, I think sometimes people get discouraged when you hear that and it's not mm -hmm. to discourage folks I think it's for me especially it's to be clear on who's leading movements and I mm -hmm. think that's very much a thing of activists leading movements and advocates playing you know co-conspirators and supporters and and contributing their voices their money and and all the you know your whatever you have access to you're contributing that to this movement but at the end of the day it's the activists that are leading the people that are you know actually forming organizations and like every day on the ground doing the work you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like and and i feel like especially with the me too movement like it was necessary and it was powerful and a lot of things great things came out of that but I also feel like hadn't it been for black women saying wait a minute hold up mm. Tarana Burke who came up with the moniker you know what I'm saying and who has been doing this work right for a lot longer than a lot of folks have been you know working in the industry or whatever so yeah. you know there's there's it, to me it's about visibility and who's leading and, who we're Absolutely. and also with like everything going on now with Ice Cube it's like Sir, <laughs> 50 Cent. I don't know if you guys heard about 50 Cent. 50 Cent. There's a picture of both of them with the Trump hat. But that's a Photoshop picture. That's okay. Picture. But, it, <laughs> it, but, but the point is not that it's not that it's Photoshop. The point is that now you, they can utilize your image and you to, to seemingly be of their support. Right. And that's just dumb because y'all niggas ain't getting paid for that. So, yeah. <laughs> like to me, at the end of the day, damn it, y'all don't even get paid for that. Y'all look stupid. Like, and not that anyone should do it for money, but God, at least, you know, 50 is really out here, you know, trying to get, you know, getting rich and not die trying. Like he's he might die trying. Like he might die trying. Scared of some fucking taxes. Like literally yeah. that, that's what it what it's about. And I just think it just speaks to how um, wealth can transform people. And it's not about leaving the hood. It's about your interest, your self-interest change. Yeah. You know, you think, oh, well, I'll funnel my funds into the community directly. So that's how I make up for the fact that I know they get fucked over so that I don't get fucked over as a rich person. You know what I mean? And wow. It's like, out. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, it just feels like such a I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm riddled with anxiety sometimes when I write pieces that I'm like, I don't want to sell my community out. How is this going to look? Right. You know, so I'm just like, so you're just going to sit up here and like support a man that has vocally stated that 
in disdain. And not just that, like in New York City, like you ask any New Yorker, <laughs> they know that man is racist. Yeah, Trump is racist. Like any New Yorker. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just, it's wild times, y'all. Yeah, it's wild <laughs> times, but like, you know, just to cement the point around advocate versus um, activist, I think that what we saw with the black square thing that happened was a really big example of a moment mm -hmm. this dynamic of uh because now it's not just an advocate in the sense of like oh little old julissa and little and lady Sudronche posted it it's like somebody who had a call to action that really moved numbers in the thousands i'm not saying millions because i i can't quote i don't know if that's true but definitely in the thousands like just rushing to to put up black squares and and the advocate says it's a start it's a smart um social media strategy to mm -hmm. take social media and the activist says no dum-dum actually what you're doing is you're clogging the line for us because actually the news doesn't cover us so this is the outlet we use and because mm -hmm. hashtags now all they're going to start black squares and not how we're trying to report things in real time right didn't come from a bad place, right? Like, I don't believe that the people who put together the Black Square thing, and, and apparently, and it got misconstrued, like, different people had different mm -hmm. interpretations of it, and, like, it became messy, but it was a really, you know, like, it, it could have potentially been a really dangerous situation if the anarchy, or not, not the anarchy in terms of, like, people, like, doing things wrong, but in the sense of, like, this explosion of emotions that was happening in the street and the police being so aggressive that they kind of really did need those outlets and it could have gotten really really messy and who's to say it didn't who's to say there are certain moments and things that didn't get overlooked because right because of that you know um but i think the more that we are open to having this conversation about the distinction between the two and that we begin to self-identify the distinctions among our, our among our actions the more we can get on the same page about how we want to be I, I think a lot of it is strategy like yeah. I think that's the main to me that's the main difference where someone can if someone comes up to me, they're like, so what do you think are the things that the community needs to be implemented? And I'm like, that's not my area of expertise. Mm. <laughs> it's like, I don't have the strategies for that because it's not something that I've, I'm like uh, experienced in or have like a backup of, of actual working knowledge. Um, and like, even with the blackout thing, right? With the blackout squares, it's like, there was a strategy behind that. But when you take that away from the hands of activists and everyone gets involved in a way that um, is more of to participate, it, it loses the strategy. And the same thing with like the Lebanon black and white pictures that all of a sudden everybody was posting. It's like, it completely lost its original intention, which was to, you know, bring awareness to femicide in, in, in the Middle East. And it became this thing of like, you know, women. A are, glamorous black and white picture. A glamorous black and white picture. I mean, it was still like cute, right? It's like women uplifting women and you nominate other women. And that was cute. But mm -hmm. when you go from femicide to it being about glamour shots, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the strategy failed. <laughs> I was going to say, and, and it's just strategy failed, and but no, not necessarily ill will intended. And I think okay. that that, that, piece right there like the internet is not a safe space for people to have that conversation it's either people are very vocal about how dumb everyone is for falling for this internet fad shit mm -hmm. or you're saying hey let me fucking live it's social media i'm in a pandemic like fuck i was just i'm just trying, trying to participate i was just following the instructions <laughs> <laughs> you know and i feel like there is a 
I, I, I just remembered that day because I ended up participating and I didn't know. And then later I was like, oh, I'm going to change my caption. Like, yeah, like let somebody try to read my caption and see, oops, actually it's about this. But I mm -hmm. self-corrected, right? And there was a moment of that, but there was a lot of like, before that moment came. And if I was somebody else or if I had to, that, that would like turn me off. And then, you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of our divide just comes from miscommunication of mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think we just need to, have a little grace for ourselves so that we can get on the same page so that we can fuck shit up together, you know? Let's fuck shit up together, yes. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, let's get into our brunch question. Yeah, so Guadalice, while we're fucking it up together um, and you go out to brunch with your ladies, what is your favorite brunch bebida? Ooh, I have like three. Okay. Uh, yeah. Are you gonna, are we ranking them Ooh. most favorite to least favorite i think it depends on my mood okay very pisces are you a pisces yet? Are you no a pisces? i'm actually oh, okay well it's a very okay. pisces thing to say it depends on my mood pero mira i am <laughs> i am a virgo but i am i think i'm a pisces rising okay mm. <laughs> wow. I forget, I forget which one. I'm 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 a Virgo Earth, right? Surrounded by water. So my rising and my moon are both water signs. Mm -hmm. I don't know what any of that means, but <laughs> does anyone really know though? <laughs> no, I know there, there are mad people that know, but <laughs> um, but a lot of things are actually dictated by my mood. So if that's a Pisces thing, that would ring really true to whatever my either rising or I don't know. I don't, I need to check my co-star, right? <laughs> That's the only reason I ever know. Like, Yo, co-star is it. Co-star is also very savage. Every day making me feel like- Yo, sometimes they be coming at my neck for no reason. Shit, fuck it. No fucking reason. Like, <laughs> like there are days when co-star is like, so maybe show people who you really are today. <laughs> Or it's really not all about you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. savage as hell. Oh, man. But I need it. Sometimes I need it. So <laughs> I keep her around. Um, but my, I would say um, Mimosa is always like a go-to because I feel like you have to be uh, ridiculous to fuck up a Mimosa. Yeah. Um, I love Bellinis and yes. I love Aperol Spritz. Ooh. what's in the last one i don't know what's in the last one i love a bellini i love a mimosa <laughs> you saw you saw my excitement like i was like yes yes what <laughs> um if you haven't had an aperol spritz please have an aperol spritz it's basically like um it's like soda water and then aperol aperol is like a, a, a drink it's very like orangey citrusy i like this okay um uh, but it'll get you fucked up if you have enough of it uh, okay <laughs> But those are my, and Aperol spritz, you can kind of have them whenever. Um, they go great with seafood. Um, yes. But I, I can have me a good Aperol spritz uh, anytime. Uh, yes. And you was like, let me get an Aperol spritz. <laughs> well, when you're out to brunch and you're having your Aperol spritz, what's your go-to brunch plate? Uh, I do love my... Mango. So it all depends yes. on the spot that we're at. Um, there is a really dope spot by me on Dykeman. It's called Pop and Pour, and they have 
elevated version of the Tres Golpe. Oh. <laughs> Dominican owned, so they can fuck around with shit like that. I'm cool with it. If it wasn't <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? Um, but it's like they make the mango like real cute and they put on top like the egg nicely decorated and it's like, you know, it's like it's like a circle, it's a small circle that they've like built up and packed. And then they put the onions on top and on the side, real nicely decorated, queso, you know, frito. Yeah. And then the salami on the, like, it's real nice. Like, it's a pretty dish. Yeah. It's really pretty. And they call it, I think it's like the, the Tres Golpe ben, Benedict or something like that, because the egg is actually more Benedict than it is, like. And it is. Right. Mm. Oh. It's really good. Um, either that or... I was raised in Chicago, born and raised in Chicago, so I grew up around a lot of Mexican food. Some chilaquiles do me right all the time. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Some chilaquiles. So, since you're from Chicago, and I was, I was actually, I was like waiting for a moment to be like, but hold on, hold on, hold on. But you ain't from New York. You ain't from New York. <laughs> you're from another city, which is, which, which I remember... I thought for a really long time you were from the Heights for some, like nobody told me you were from the Heights. I definitely was just like, oh, Dominican. And I put you in. <laughs> Everybody. They're like, I'm from New York? No, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> okay, I can still fuck with that. <laughs> some, I guess something about the Chicago swag is reminiscent of the New York swag because the, the swag you carry doesn't feel different. Like I feel like sometimes I can tell. But anyway, you're from Chicago, so I would love to know what was it like to go out to eat when you were growing up as a kid? So I will say, like, my parents weren't really big on going out. My dad is like your typical Dominican, I comida en la casa, mm. waste money on food, you know. And my mom, like, she's very picky about where she eats. Like, she's very much like, yo no sé quién cocino esto, yo no sé cómo yo son en la cocina. Like, my mom is very... Um, She's not a germaphobe, but she's very well aware of germs and viruses and things. So <laughs> she's um, she's always been very picky. And she, you know, she looks at the cutlery. And if she sees like, you know, fingerprints on the cup, that cup is going back. She needs to, you know what I'm saying? Which is like, we should, right? That's food that you're about to eat. You should have some level of like pickiness, right? So I didn't grow up going out to eat with my parents. I went out to eat a lot with like my aunts, my uncles. Um, when I was younger in grade school, I would do oratory competitions, um, where I would like memorize a poem or a speech, and then I would like perform it. And I always won like my district and the school would get a VCR and I would get McDonald's, McDonald's dollars, like the McDonald's bags. Oh my God. You know, after I would win those little booklets, I would go to my family. I'd be like, okay. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> Yo, I remember those booklets too. Like those came in clutch. <laughs> oh my god, the booklet. Yeah. But like I felt like I was rich. You were balling. Listen, I was like 10, 11. I would be like, it's on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking beautiful. I like truly. <laughs> that is so beautiful. And it reminds me of also Wendy's used to sell the frosty. The, the little booklet for 79 cents and then you used to have they used to have one too it was really good oh. um so what is your favorite bochincha topic to discuss over a meal honestly i just love to bochincha that <laughs> i don't think i have like a particular i don't like bochincha in the sense of like 
gossiping and like destroying someone's life or it being like all over you know blogs and shit like that like that's not what I'm into I'm into like you know people I could trust that I could because I don't spill secrets like that's never really been my mo but if I'm with like people that I trust that I know are like hardcore vaults Mm -hmm. like I am like you're a vault like that's just not gonna open easy um I could talk about anything like you know I love the saucy shit like she did what to who and he said what (laughs) what like you know what I'm saying I do love me some celebrity gossip like that I don't mind talking about that because that's you know it's out there anyway Yes, and now we're going into the Cheers to the Ladies Who section where we shout out dope people doing dope shit. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, this week we are cheersing to freeing the stoners. Um, I, (laughs) for those of y'all who know me, I have a very close relationship with my mother. It's a different type of relationship. I would say that I'm a mother's boy probably um, just because... Like, we have a very different type of relationship. We've become very good friends, too, while I've been growing up or whatever. But the one part of my life that I have kept away from this woman <laughs> is the fact that I like to indulge in marijuana. And... And so this week she finally found out (laughs) and it was a very awkward moment. I knew it was a moment that was coming Mm -hmm. because I've been reckless. I've been reckless, but it is just, it is, what happened? Like you've been reckless during the quarantine or? In the sense of like with quarantine, obviously my intake has increased and um reckless in the sense of like smoking before I go to see her you know like knowing damn well that like she might smell it or see it in my eyes or whatever (sighs) but you know we was here whatever um Gerard was staying with me because we had just came back from LA and he was quarantining with me so that we could get COVID tested before he goes back home to his parents because he lives with his parents and she was coming over because she was going to Puerto Rico for a month and um, she wanted to drop off her keys. So before she got here, I knew that she was coming here. Before she got here, I had like smoked, but I wasn't like smoking, you know, whatever. And she gets here and me and Gerard go downstairs. Gerard had been sleeping, so he looked high. Like he had, his eyes were red, like his eyes were low, whatever. We started talking to her and she just flat out was like, y'all look high. <laughs> <laughs> And me and Gerard just con- like completely disregarded the comment and continued the conversation. I forgot what we were talking about, but we just like con- completely disregarded the conversation. But then also Gerard's doing these stupid little like high things, like offering my mom clementines, like while we were talking and shit like that. He's so, always offering somebody a Yo, he's always offering people shit, like. Because it was the way in which he was doing it too, because he was like he was like mouthing it instead of saying it and like going like Yes <laughs> Like bitch like talk we talk we hear we talking whatever anyway so she said that we continue talking we continue talking we continue talking and all of a sudden I get to the point where I go to give her a hug 
and her head, my mom's short, so her head is like right on my chest. And I hug her, I hug her, I hug her. She goes, you smoking? Your shirt smells smoky. Are you smoking cigarettes? Like literally, boom, 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 and three things. And I, I literally was like, <sighs> I knew she was going to find out. I just didn't know she was going to find out like this. And I looked at Gerard and he goes, you smoke? I was like, Gerard. He was like, you smoke? And I was like, Gerard. And then fucking, I turned to my mother and I say, we do not smoke cigarettes in this house. We indulge in marijuana. And she was like, I knew it. <laughs> because cut to like a week before when just like oh, two weeks before when Jessica was here, there was a point where she had came and we had been smoking and my mood like shifted between when I spoke to her before she got to the house and when she was at the house. So she had some type of suspicion and she had been asking me questions like about the difference between THC and CBD and da 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 da. Um, but I, so I knew that she had some type of inkling, but I did not know that that was going to be the moment that it came out. And right. it just, it came out and we laughed it off. She was like, you're a grown ass man, so I can't tell you not to do it. But if you try other drugs, I'm going to have to shoot you. And then I was just on my like touche and, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's out in the open. This was the one aspect of my life. You know, like, I feel like now I could just be. I feel like you it. came out again. You. <laughs> I came out again. That's what I was thinking, too. It was like coming out again. Yeah. Thank you. you know, my, my, I didn't really have a, a, a coming out story because my mom just flat out. Very <laughs> short. It was when I was still living with her. And I had an old ass empty Thing, container that had weed in it just had the stem because I told myself oh I was going to collect stem because I was trying to make weed tea and so she had been going through my jeans and she found it and she was like Julissa like how am I supposed to explain this to your family this is such a disappointment your aunt would die I'm not even going to tell her because it would break her heart and she has heart issues I can't even tell her why are you doing this this is I've failed as a mother, like literally, like it was like this whole thing. And like, she didn't even hit me. I, 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 I think my fear has always been like, if my mom found out she's gonna beat my ass, but she didn't even hit me. She was just like, it was literally like this big dramatic moment. She's like, oh my God, your father would be so, I'm not even gonna talk, I'm not even gonna tell him because <laughs> embarrassing and da, da, da. And it was this whole thing and I was just and she won I felt like a piece of shit like I was like wow I've literally been a disgrace to my name I'm a disgrace to the name um but I didn't stop smoking so I you know what I mean I, I was just kind of like I'm going to accept I'm the disgrace and uh, yeah. and, and the, the reality is I, I don't think I'm a disgrace but like just this idea of understanding that that is just her relationship with drugs and how she does not like drugs is her relationship with mm-hmm. and so I respect that I'm not going to try to convert her to anything if she's she has no interest in drugs that's it that's that's it you know <clears throat> but I don't smoke in her house like I wouldn't I would never like disrespect her <laughs> my that was another thing my mother said she was like just don't do it in my house I was like mom I'm really gonna go all the way up to Nourish Houses mark up a joint right like <laughs> You know, I'm also, and by the way, I'm not the only child that does it. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm over it. Who did you throw? 
Know Damn, there's are. four other siblings. There's one of y'all. know who they are, and I don't care. You know, <laughs> I'm speaking. It's I'm. Speaking. So, you know, I yeah, I just you know, I just think it's interesting. But for real, for real, I just I think that part of my willingness to say it out loud comes from a place of wanting to become more of an advocate around weed and and, and weed and justice around people who've been incarcerated. Absolutely. Crimes related to weed. And also a new avenue that I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling this vibe of like weed, weed feminism. And I'm just like, yeah, there's this way in which the the relationship I have with with weed feels very unique for different reasons that are tied to my feminism. I mm. even just the example that like I grew up in a household where that was the reaction to finding a stem. You know what I mean? Like so I I, I actually came across this brand called Buy Weed from Women. Um, and they're just, you know, they have an IG platform. I encourage everyone to follow them. And they basically just are advocates around like elevating stories around women um, and their involvement with mar marijuana and, and marijuana companies, um, cannabis companies that are women run and led. And I think that in a space where like, listen, if legalization is the wave, it's coming people are making so much money off this shit and the wrong people are making the money. Mm -hmm. the wrong people are making the money. And so part of my agenda, I mean, like, obviously I think people who are formerly incarcerated, I secretly believe that they should have first dibs on having jobs that are within them. Yes. Mm -hmm. My personal, if they want it, right? Like not trying to pigeonhole them, but I think that they should be guaranteed spots. I think they should be put back in the seats of the expertise that they had before they got locked up. Like, yeah. then go back into it. And, and if they didn't know much, then let them learn. Like, I just, anyway, that's, that's its own thing. But just thinking about the framework of women with weed was not a thing I thought about until I literally saw the like Instagram page. And I'm like, yes, women and weed, there's this very particular relationship and it's something that's important to me. I joke around a lot with Skittles about it, but I'm like, yo, my relationship with weed is important to me for many reasons. In the same mm -hmm. way that my Afro versus my Dominican blood is important to me. It carries some of that same weight. Um, so Buy Weed From Women, it's a brand. I totally recommend everybody check it out. Is that the um, IG, Buy Weed From Women? Yeah, Buy Weed From Women. They have this yes. jacket that I bought and I've been, I, I've been rocking it. In fact, I rocked it in my neighborhood and I didn't realize it was like school, a school day and like the kids were in school physically. <laughs> so I literally was walking, I went halfway up a block and I just saw a bunch of little children in front of a Mr. Softy truck. And I was like, you're going to turn around. You're not going to walk past those kids with this <laughs> So even though I'm an advocate, I'm still working through my insecurity. <laughs> no, respectful, respectful. Okay, 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 okay. You know, yeah. But also I think there's something to be said about like just destigmatizing it completely and maybe even introducing it not introducing it to, to kids, obviously, but like just yeah. taking away that like, cause we grew up in that dare generation, you know? Mm -hmm. And we were taught that if you were gonna smoke weed, you were gonna then do cocaine, you were gonna do crack, you were gonna be a crackhead, you know? Especially for us Latinos in the Bronx, you know, it was, it's that gateway drug that you need to stay away from and, and you know, whatever. And I think that there's, I know too many family members that were like ostracized too much, like throughout my entire childhood because they were the ones that kind of fell into that hole, you know? And they, they, 
they were you looked at a different way in the family you know from family members and I I feel bad about that you know especially now that I indulge as much as I do I I laughed at that the leaving a gateway drug to other drugs because I'm like I feel like alcohol is more that (laughs) than weed like talk about it (laughs) real um but I think you know there's definitely the point of when like coming out to your parents like I don't you know, I don't smoke weed just because my lungs are like, I've tried cigarettes before and my lungs, like I literally sounded like a 90 year old smoker. Uh, after <laughs> I literally, I felt like, I felt like, you know, like I was walking around like this. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> not for me. Um, but uh, it's more the thing of like, how do you really become independent from your parents' way of thinking? You know what I'm saying? And like really, stepping in whatever your truth is as an adult and as a human being and being able to like, you know, make choices that are right for you um, that may not have been right for your parents, but are right for you. Right. And still be responsible about it. Right. Yeah. Like I yeah. your, your coat, your jacket moment and not passing by the kids is like a perfect example of like, look, yes, but I'm still responsible where I know I'm not going to walk around little kids with this. Cause that's not a conversation that I'm like trying to have with these children. Right? Yeah. Um, but with my, like with my mom, it's more the thing, like I grew up super religious um, and even like no drinking and stuff like that. So we were having a conversation about like wine and stuff. And my mom literally looks at me and Julissa, same, like my mom, like I could worry about my mom beating my ass, but it really isn't that. It's more the disappointment. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the disappointment on an immigrant mom's face. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> that's just traumatic (laughs) you know what i'm saying like i would rather you beat me with a chancleta five times over than to see that face of disappointment because it's like i came to this country and sacrificed everything so that you can be drunk on the streets like a cualquiera like a callejera like all 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 the names right and so we were talking about wine and my mom was like They ask like that. <laughs> they ask me what you know. <laughs> it's like, but it's like with this, like, tell me you don't. You drink? <laughs> and I was just like, I li- and I didn't say yes or no. I was just like, hi, mommy. That's not the point. <laughs> oh, Yo, I am the queen of doing that. That's how I deter my mom. I just don't answer the question. I am the queen politician. <laughs> I don't confirm or deny a thing for her. <laughs> that is not the point. I, I make bigly decisions. I make smart choices. <laughs> my ass turns <laughs> making up words and shit with my mom because I'm like trying to avoid the answer and like I don't want to answer that. I am big in New York. I make bigly, bigly choices. <laughs> yes, I 100%. I honestly fully, fully know where you're coming from. I identify with that. I also grew up in a Christian household 
trust me, trust me. Like, even that this is out in the world and I'm saying this out loud, it is only because of the grace of God not giving my mom the desire to be on social media whatsoever or my dad's. Like, they barely know how to use technology. But if they knew this conversation was going to be aired somewhere, you know the fucking ass whooping they would have I mean, I'm pretty, I'm probably going to get something from either family members or I feel like my mom probably low-key has feelings, but like she literally went to Puerto Rico for like the day after. (laughs) So maybe like that was just like the, the stress relief, but um. Yeah, there she yeah. goes. I mean, you might as well do it now when she has time to be there and get over it again, you know. Exactly. So. Would she get over it, though, Skittles? Like, is that something that she would be like, you know what? I think that she will, because it's me. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom, my mom is, she's is someone who's been, who's going to be, who's, like, open-minded and stuff like that. It just okay. needs to, like, you know, be introduced. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like my mom would just ramp up her Christian videos on my website. <laughs> yeah, my mom would pray and all that for sure. My mom, if she just wants to avoid it, she just won't ask about it. <laughs> like, she won't ask. <laughs> oh, can I have some? Okay. All right, all right. So now let's move on to our Tuta Loca S where we call out motherfuckers who are doing the most damn I really be trying with J-Lo. I really do be trying with J-Lo because I fuck with J- I fuck with J-Lo. I have to I love J-Lo. Sidebar, unfortunately, because I did not have much representation on TV and I never saw girls that looked like me on TV. When I finally had a girl who could at least say she was from the Bronx and she was Latina, I was like, close enough, right? Because I have Britney <laughs> out here. I have Christina Aguilera. I have all these other girls and she wasn't white. You know what I mean? And then I, at that age, didn't know I was Black, so I didn't know I can claim the Aaliyahs and all that stuff. I thought I couldn't because I wasn't technically Black. And so J-Lo became the thing that I had, right? And so, you know, when J-Lo tries, I really try to root for her too because I think, you know, she is a girl from the Bronx. Her story is what it is. The homegirl cannot, cannot keep finding herself in these situations where she is bigging up the the black community in a way that she's including herself but she actually does not participate in that community or claim that community she doesn't even call herself afro latina she doesn't and 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 you know it's so complicated because i've been in my evolution of talking about afro latinidad i realized that i was unconsciously building a bias against afro latinas who don't look afro latina you know what i mean like where i'm like oh i know your dad is black or your mom is black but you're not black. And so like, it would feel weird to see them claiming it if they were white leaning, but it's kind of like, damn, well, if their literal mother or father are black, are they not Afro-Latino? Like, so I'm, and I'm still really in that weird like space, but JLo to me, is kind of like, sis, I feel like we even gave you chances to just claim it and go ahead and say that that's what you were, but you never did. And you were just always like, what? When she said the N word and I forgot what song, it was just kind of like, those were the lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the cap yeah. was a huge opportunity and he was like what it's a huge opportunity like you know what I mean and it's and now it's like I'm always going to be your negrita from the Bronx negrita yeah I okay so I have like, <laughs> I, I'm like because I know that there's going to be because I do love I do love JLo for all the same reasons only I obviously identified it more because I was Puerto Rican and you know same neighborhoods all that stuff but like, 
And like, so I know that there's going to be the people that will try to defend it by saying that negra is like a term of endearment in, in Spanish, right? Like my father used to call my mother negra and my mom's not dark skinned, you know? Um, and I don't think, I never grew up thinking that when he said that, called her that he was, you know, it was any type of racial like connotation to it. So I've always, I've known Negra as like a, as like a term of endearment. Right. But when it is J-Lo <laughs> who has found herself in these situations several times, it's like, where is your team to tell you not to do this shit? Girl, like this is several times and you keep on doing this toxic ass shit where you're not, comment, you're just not commenting on it. Like you're not, you're, 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 you're doing it people are having backlash and then she doesn't say anything about it, you know, and she just lets it exist, you know, and that's a problem too. Well, it's a P that's a PR move, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you, like, you'll ask, like, where are her people, but she's got, like, a ton of PR people behind her as well, and I, and I feel like, because this was kind of also the thing with, you know, Gina Rodriguez, it's like, mm -hmm. not addressing certain things and kind of letting them die out because it's like, oh, social media, people will forget after, like, mm-hmm. Um, but I think the conversation with JLo, like, yes, right. There's the nuance of, it's a term of endearment. Yeah. You know, like I have an, I have an uncle who would call his wife. Who's like, you know, white, uh, negra. Yeah. Dark hair. Right. That's the thing. It's like mm -hmm. dark features. And, and I would, I, I watching like soap operas, for example, would be very confused or even, even like, um, the term tall, dark, and handsome. Mm. I, I'm I would be thinking of a black man when someone would say, oh, he's tall, dark, and handsome. And then when mm -hmm. I start talking about him, like, that's a white man. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? He's got like dark hair and dark eyes. So it's like tall, dark, and handsome where it's like, it's not really talking about the skin. It's talking about, you know- The, the features. Yeah. But I think the issue with JLo and, and saying Negrita from the Bronx is that she's never addressed herself similar to what Julissa saying. It's like, she's never addressed herself in that way before. Mm -hmm. like right now, the moment that we're in to all of a sudden just throw that in there, you know, with no context. And I'm mm -hmm. talking like, you know, when you talk about the visibility that, and I say black Latinas, I don't use the term Afro Latinas as much. I say mm -hmm. black Latinas because I'm being very specific about who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are two light white Latinx artists right mm -hmm. doing a form of music that was created by black people um and you look at maluma's videos where are the negras mm -hmm. because that was my other thing it's like in of all tracks to be on you're on a maluma track mm -hmm. you know reinforcing the exactly show. exactly and that's you know and i think that that's while i think most latinx folk understood what she was saying Mm -hmm. even even me and understanding what she was saying i'm like that's still out of context because it's not a term that we've ever heard you say about mm -hmm. you know and and even more so now with everything that's happening politically you know and then it also makes me think of like her all lives matter post with lin manuel on that song that they did together oh I, what i, I didn't <laughs> know that there was an all lives matter post yeah, I what know what you're talking about <laughs> So let, let me let me. <laughs> I know that they did a song together. Wasn't it for Puerto Rico? Yeah, it was. 
no, it was after the Pulse, the Pulse shooting, the shooting at Pulse. Pulse shooting, yes. They did this song together and they performed it on, I think it was Good Morning America. And J-Lo posted a video on her on her page, or not a video, she posted a picture of her and Lynn and she wrote hashtag all lives matter, um, hashtag something else. And she caught the fury and she took it down. You know? And, I, and it was I the feel, same thing of like, not really like- Not really addressing it. And when we think about, when we think about like, really think about J-Lo, I'd be forgetting that J-Lo's old. J-Lo comes from our parents. She's like our parents' age. And that think about their mentalities. And 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 it's I don't know if it's like it it shouldn't be expected, but like or and it doesn't justify it, but just to put that into the context of like she's saying that. I really yeah. genuinely mean that because you said that and I'm like, you know what? And you're right. Because <laughs> I got old cousins that think like that. I got older. It's like, yeah, oh no, she's just from that school of thought, period. Mm-hmm. But can I, but can I, I'm, I'm going to say this. Yes. But when you have people like her and a lot of these other like older artists that are constantly reinventing themselves, it's like you're reinventing yourself in a way that if you're not also educating yourself on how these topics and these things are relevant, like you're just really trying to stay relevant for your celebrity and not because you're actually being an artist, because that's the thing of like, what is an artist, right? Mm -hmm. And how does an artist like execute their art? There's conversation behind it. You're, you're calling to something. Come on. Maybe I'm putting too much on them when I say artistry, but I have heard JLo calling herself an artist. So it's like, okay, sis, so what, <laughs> what is your Right, you're going to claim it. You know what I'm saying? So it's definitely, I do agree with you. Like she's older and comes from a different time, but one, this conversation with her is not new. Yeah. You know, you can either educate yourself or you can continue to, to you know, act in the vein of ignorance, which then it's like, well, that's just you being willful because you're refusing to educate yourself. Um, and the other thing is, you know, staying relevant within the hip hop movement and the ways in which hip hop moves and, and, and adjusts and who becomes part of hip hop. Like, I think that it's really important to know what's going on. I mean, and especially right, like, I think that there's also a cognitive dissonance. If you're not going to be aware of what's going on politically and how that's also affecting the, the music that we're seeing, it's like, what are you really contributing to this moment? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, if, and here's my other thing. If you can educate yourself on non-binary and trans um, experience, because your nephew or your nibbling, nibbling, uh, you know what I'm saying like uh, apologies, not you know nibbling. Um, if you're able to educate yourself on that, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, and and I will say, like, I was the one that had all of J Lo's records, mm. J Lo's perfume. I had J-Lo sweaters, I had J-Lo, J-Lo tops, J-Lo outfits, like, whenever she would pop out with something new, I was all over it, like, to the point where people were asking me, like, ¿Qué pasa con J-Lo? like, who's she marrying now? And it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, a fan, and I would follow her career, because same thing, like, you know, a Latina from the hood, mm-hmm. you know? Even though- but That really wasn't what it was, it was the hood part. It wasn't just that she was a Latina, it was the hood part. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. though someone was like, she didn't really grow up in the hood. Like, I guess that. Yeah, she's she's from Castle Hill. She she went to prep school um, for, I think, middle school. 
Um, so she didn't like have like a like she grew up in a townhouse. It wasn't like, I mean, it was still the Bronx in the yeah, in, I in say, you I know mean, like in the neighborhood now. To her, yeah, like, it actually isn't. It's a nice looking neighborhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah. She's not trying to give her extra points, but you know. But she didn't have like she didn't have like the Cardi B. Yeah, no, no. She, you know, like have a Cardi B Bronx experience. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like you know, being a Latina from you know from the hood or from a, a community that that is not like your typical you know well off or whatever. And so I gravitated towards that, and just also being able to like fit in, figuring out where where I fit in as well, even though. She, she didn't really physically represent me except right. for the ass part, even though there were many times where I was like, but I got cousins with bigger asses than that. I don't see mm -hmm. It was always like, but that's regular. Like, what well, do you, yeah, that's like, normal. <laughs> that her ass isn't that big. Like, that's, you know, I low key, not to interrupt, but I used to think that used to make me feel like, oh, that's also how I know I'm straight because I can't even see what's so sexy about her ass. Like, I would literally be like, I guess it's because I'm straight. Maybe it's because I'm straight. I just can't tell with a big ass. I, yeah. <laughs> like, I literally used to think that that's why I couldn't see it. I was like, because everybody else is drooling. I just don't see it. Well, And the I, way she's branded it but now, like, the like in the beginning of her career, she never, like, commented on it. But now she literally, like, has a moment and stage where the dance is clear and she does a big, mm -hmm. you know, and she's talking about big, big booty, but you gotta, yeah. That's the, and that's another thing with her branding. Like she's branded herself the Bronx girl, but I and I mean I, I obviously haven't done my research, but I can't really pinpoint the the part of the Bronx that she's really like been funneling all these all this money into, Where's you know, like giving it back to the community. Because yeah. if I were J Lo, that ass, if give me J Lo's career. Because if I were J Lo, there would be a J Lo dance studio on Castle Hill. Right. There will be a fucking school of the arts. Skittles. You know, in the Bronx. Skittles. Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's like, how are you, you know, it, it's, again, it's like that, you're right. It's the thing of how are you really contributing to the community that you're constantly like uplifting and, and it's hard, but it's also kind of like, are you for the people or not? Which is a separate conversation, right? Yeah, because some people would say, well, why does she have to? All she did was work to become an artist. And so she's an artist now. Why does she suddenly have to be a philanthropist? <laughs> and also be an artist at the same time. But as an artist, she's allowed to talk about where she comes from. That's not her exploiting them. That's her truth. And so why does she have to do that? This is not my opinion. I'm just saying that there are people who feel that. And I wonder, what are your thoughts to that? Like, you don't have to. Well, I, for me, there's, again, I feel like we can also tie this conversation to like, you know, people like 50 Cent and, and, uh, and Ice Cube in the ways in which you're supposedly working for your community, but, but not really. Right. And, you know, um, not consulting with activists to really see what is actually needed. What are the strategies that are already in place and things like that? Um, and you can ar argue, you know, it's like, well, if you're going to claim someplace, right, I, that is a form of exploitation because you're also gaining street cred by claiming this place, you mm -hmm. know, especially as her being 
an artist that has worked, you know, R&B, hip hop, or whichever genre, I, I feel like they all bleed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives, it does give you a certain amount of street cred. And that's the thing that, you know, where things become commodities and things become, um, uh, what's, what's the word where they can become something that you can use for, for commerce to gain some kind of, um, yes, you know, you know what I'm saying? Capital. Well, yes. And it's not, capital is not the word you're referring to, but it's like a capital. It's just- yeah. And, and to be able to claim, I mean, that was, that was part of her thing, you know, on the six, like she that was her stamp to come out like I am this woman from the Bronx and that's my community and I think she does have an understanding of how important it is to have the support from your community and that is where I pause with what you're saying Skittles because it's like knowing how much the community has supported her right regardless of all the fuck shit regardless of this and that um what are you really tangibly contributing back to your community for that support and it's you know, not that it should be transactional, but there's a certain level of responsibility when you mm-hmm. think of how, how we function under capitalism. It's like, okay, you're going to function willingly under this system that in many ways is oppressive, but how are you using that to not just your advantage, but also to your community's advantage? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and you can ask that about really any celebrity. You can also wonder mm-hmm. the case, you know, and like, yeah, I've Barbados, right? Yes, what has Rihanna done for Barbados? I, I've lot, you I saying that you saying that made me think of this um this random aspect. My friend is from the same town that Madonna's from in Michigan, and apparently her brother's homeless in the town. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, isn't that a random ass like? <laughs> really random. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> But I'm thinking about like how you have all this fame and you're not even giving back to your own. I mean, like, there's also the there's also levels of that of family, right? Like I don't know what her dynamic family. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm saying like Meghan Markle. I know that her and her dad don't 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 fuck with each other because her dad is you know all types of messy, and I wouldn't help someone out like that either. You know, that's real. That's real. So you know, I I'm not gonna comment because. <laughs> 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 You know, I feel like familial relationships get really sticky and weird. And, and who knows what, what her brother's mental state is, if he wants help or if he's like accepted her help or any of that. But I think when you look at it from like a larger scale of community and you claiming things, it's like, well, how are you actually, you know? And I think of like the the fundraisers for Puerto Rico when the hurricane mm-hmm. and all that and just the repercussions of that after and it's it's a lot it's a lot celebrity is a lot <laughs> yeah no for sure for sure but i just need my girl to you know check herself a little bit just like you know i get the whole term of endearment thing but to me that term of endearment argument is the same argument as Bogoya has done so much for the community and they've given so much money and so much scholarship you're going to cancel somebody who supported this community yeah, it feels like the same argument. It's like, yeah, it becomes about a bit more than the financial things and the flashy toys that they've given us. And it becomes about the righteousness and the value behind it and what that perpetuates if we allow it to slide. And people just don't want to. So people are like, oh, fuck that. We're not going to see it in our lifetime. So why are we, why do we have to be the ones to care that much? Mm-hmm. It's silly. JLo, get your team together. I still love you. I'm tight at you though. You know, we'll see what your next thing is. Um, <laughs> Ooh, this looks good. Oh my god, this is 
want to taste that. So now we're going to move into our uh, plate of the day. Afro-Latinidad on stage. So I have to say, like, for me, being in theater, it took way too long in my theatrical, like, career for me to re recognize that there were other Dominicans in theater. Um, I thought that with outside of, like, the people who I had entered MCC Theater with, who there happened to be some Dominicans in there, like, outside of them, that we were very scarce and that I would have to do some really big digging to find them. Um, and for a while, questions, like, I mean, how many Dominican playwrights are there? Like, if I wanted to look at, like, you know, history, theater history, like, how far back could I actually go to try to surface Dominican theater if I wanted to? And I remember feeling like it needed to then be my job. Like, everything that I was going to do should have my Dominican identity in mind because I should because I am and, and no one else has, right? And in that narrative, and really that came from like lack of exposure, lack of, you know, education and stuff around that. Um, but I just, you know, I, I remember entering theater and feeling like I was already taking on something that meant that I needed to be transformative and changing something, which already made it different than what I knew everybody else was going to do in the space, um, which, you know, it was good and also like made it really intimidating for me at the same time. Um, and so now that we are living in a time where we're having discussions around theater, the stories we're telling, who, are, who is telling these stories? You know, how are we casting and keeping inclusivity in mind? It's, it's been really interesting to reflect on like, yeah, I guess for so long, like even though I understood that there was a way in which I still subscribed to the system of theater and what it was telling me it needed to, I, I needed to do. And, and I always thought of it as like, a, oh, I have to follow their way first. And then when I get there, then I can fuck shit up. But now I feel like with the pandemic and Broadway being closed and just the, the Black Lives Matter movement altogether, there's room for theater and black voices and, and specifically even nuanced black voices and not just capturing the African-American story, but di diving deeper into the diaspora mm -hmm. that, that maybe that changes a little bit. So I've been thinking about this a lot. And since you, Wadalise, are a black theater artist, I, you know, wanted to dive deeper into this conversation with you. And my first question that comes up is even just like, what was your first interaction with Black theater um, and even specifically Afro-Latinx theater? Um, I'm trying to remember like Black, I mean, I, I, I saw Black theater in Chicago um, and Court Theater in Chicago, they're like on the South side, um, they're at University of Chicago. Um, but they do a lot of August Wilson revivals. So that was really my first interaction with, with black theater um, in the ways of which, in how I, I watch theater now. Mm. Um, the theater company that I also work with a lot, I work with two companies in Chicago, a lot Aguijon Theater, which is a Spanish theater company and urban theater company. Um, an urban theater, they produced one of Susan Laurie Park's uh, plays, Fucking A. Pretty sure. I think it was Fucking A. Yeah. Um, so that those were really my first experiences with Black theater. With Afro Latinx theater, I would honestly have to say it would just be me. Yourself. <laughs> Myself. I, that's certainly my answer, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, Chicago, I, it's honest if i'm gonna be honest if i'm gonna keep it 100 it's one of the reasons why i moved to new york you know mm. 
Um, so I'm gonna assume that didn't uh, none of y'all saw Afro uh, Afro Latinas, um, platanos and collard greens. I never. I always heard of it, but I never watched. I never. Yeah, I, that was. I think for me, that was my first interaction because I was part of like this after school program for Latinos trying to get Latinos into high school, and they like. But it was because I was a part of a program that that was an effort to expose students to to that um uh Whoa. platanos I, and collard greens i didn't even know that was a play yeah, yeah they they they've been doing it or they were doing it at like bmcc and stuff like that downtown in the city but also vagina like monologues you see how vagina monologues took life and legs and like was everywhere that was a show that sort of had legs that way where people would do it but because it was one of the few pieces yeah point that was representative in that way yeah, that that when I'm thinking of like my first interaction with Latinx theater period uh, or black theater, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Aside from then, Lin Manuel, you know, like like in the Heights, uh, and there are like I feel like um, whenever I like there were there were like maybe one or two more that I've seen in New York, but all have been on smaller scale, like small scale, small theater low budget you know um so yeah it, i mean needless to say that like people are not putting money or were not putting money into uh that part of the community um when we were growing up well i mean there's it's also the thing of like when you say afro latinx theater is it the is it the playwright that you mean or is it the story or because i mean i saw in the heights in chicago and it's i wouldn't necessarily call that an afro Oh yeah, no, no, I mean, that's real. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I and and that's what I mean, though. It's kind of like and and to to another question that I'm sort of like that I wanted to ask a little later around like what like what is enough? Like what do we pass as actual? Like what are we marking as you know Afro Latinx theater or Black theater? And what does that mean for me? I feel like my first interaction with black theater was when at LaGuardia High School we did rag well I wasn't in it but ragtime 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 had happened and so the cast was like there was a, a lot of black kids and we had a lot of talented kids um in our school so for me like experiencing that play was such a big like it was both a moment of like the testimony of the talent that we had amongst the black artists in our school, but then being like, wow, there are plays that have this many black people on at once. Like it was just mm -hmm. like, that was actually the surprise to me that there were so many black people on that stage at once. And so that these numbers, it almost felt like church in certain moments, you know, and, and it felt like a ceremony, like watching the play felt like a ceremony. Um, and then I think that was the beginning of me realizing like, fuck, we are excellent at this thing that I've only been exposed to as a white thing. Like if mm -hmm. people would ask me outside of like, I did Raisin in the Sun as my monologue because Raisin in the Sun was maybe like the only black play I knew with the scope of theater exposure I had at that point before entering LaGuardia. Like, you know what I mean? And so I was like, if it wasn't like that or Fences, then I really had no knowledge of it. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling, but I, I say that to say, like, I think that even in, in the moment that I did have, even though it was a school production of something, but I recognized in, in the talent of the Black artists was that there was something special about how we occupied the space that the lack of Black theater and Black theater exposure had stolen from me. Like it stole it from my consciousness. So 
that's where that question um, really comes from for me. Um, but then like, you know, the reality is that we know that Black artists, Black theater artists have a different struggle. But and some of those struggles are typical struggles that any up and coming theater artists have. But while at least I'd like to hear from you and your experience, because like with working with artists like myself, you really are in the weeds of talking about advocacy versus activists. Um, the way you move in the theater world world almost feels like activism a little bit in the sense that you you know you take emerging artists and you put people in places and opportunities but I wonder in your doing some of that work what are some of the challenges that you see that are coming up for these artists that you're sort of like taking under your wing or helping elevate in some way um these questions is um <laughs> I, I mean honestly like and and I'll say this because I was thinking about this the other day it's the thing of you know, theater will pick playwrights and nurture them. Mm -hmm. And and mentorship is also another thing. And, and the ways in which mentorship is so instrumental to an artist's career. Like you can listen to, you know, really any playwright and they'll tell you, well, my mentor, this, this, and that, and I had this mentor you know, and how Paula Vogel and a lot of these um, other, you know, like older playwrights that are amazing and badass, but how they're mentors to, you know, younger playwrights. And I think that that's the biggest thing, which is one of the reasons why um, I'm the co-artistic director of the Latinx Playwright Circle. And we had our intensive, um, intensive mentorship program. And that was, you know, we, we were really interested in the ways in which we can set up young playwrights with mentors because that's so important and so we have Migdalia Cruz and we have J. Julian Christopher, Carmen Rivera and Candido Tirado as our four mentors um, and the other thing really is it's nurturing you know it's like you, you read a play and you, you see this playwright's voice and you're like there is immense potential here and so you pour into that playwright whether it's financially, whether it's with opportunities, whether it's, you know, giving them workshops, but you're pouring into this playwright because you believe in them. And I feel like a lot of times we don't have that because, and I'll say this, it's, it's a racial bias. Hmm. Um, you'll read someone's play and you don't see the potential because you don't connect with it. Hmm. You know, a lot of times, whether it's their experience is different or whatever, but and and also it might, you know, I, I think if you watched um, 40 year old version, you know, Rada Blank really brings up a lot of important points of how we've had to write to be able to get the attention, right? It's poverty porn, it's mm -hmm. um, black and brown trauma. It's all these things that, yes, those stories are important, but a lot of times they're written for the white gaze. Mm -hmm. And so, there it's and I say that it's a multi-layer question because there's so many layers so you know one of the things that I really focus on is who are the playwrights whose work I'm super excited about and how can I create avenues of opportunity for these playwrights to be able to um be nurtured and to become better right because all like experience makes you better practice makes you better being nurtured makes you better having a mentor giving you advice um whether it's about business or about art like these are all things that make you better 
and the ways in which theater has been designed pretty much under white supremacy, uh, under a white supremacist lens. Yes. It doesn't allow that space for black and brown artists to be able to have that same type of support. Um, there, there has been some change in the last five, 10 years, mm. but there's also the thing of the token where one black or brown playwright is picked and that's the one that everybody is like, that's the voice and it's like, if you can have 10 white plays about family dysfunction, you can have 10 Latinx plays about family dysfunction. Right. Mm -hmm. Or 10 black plays about family dysfunction, you know? And because sometimes I'm like, so what's the difference between what is it, Death of a Salesman and one of whatever, one of Chekhov's play? And mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all perspectives on family. You know, for example, right? That's not all that they write, but allowing for us to also be able to have five plays on the same topic, but told differently, right. like mm -hmm. where we start really having, you know, equity in theater. Yeah. Um, and as a, as a Black Latina, I'm also very interested in, in making space for other Black Latinx playwrights because mm -hmm. even within the Latinx theater canon, it's so exclusive yeah you know it's it's great and i think that that's that's why i i think i admire the way you work so much because it is a space creation rather than a, i'm going to stay within the systemic lens that tells me they're only going to pick one of us so, mm. so it better be me like you know mm -hmm. it creates this environment and i think it's taken some time, but for a while, I think some of the separation of these communities finding each other wasn't because we weren't, we didn't want each other, it's because we were all in different little nooks where someone who was in the more white people, I'm not even going to, I don't know why I was looking for other language, where we had white people <laughs> or institutions that were around us that where we were the only ones that they saw. And so we had a very individualistic experience about who we are and what that meant to theater because they didn't have an exposure and they didn't know the numbers behind how many people, you know, were actually existing within this realm. And so finally, because of social media and the evolution of how theater gets created and because theater is not that big of a world at the end of the day, when you really think about it, as we started to emerge, and I think that our generation had an emergence that perhaps didn't actually happen before us, right? Especially when I think about Black artists and, uh, you know, Afro-Latinx even specifically, that we came around the same time. So as these people were like, oh, we found a new, and then it was all like, we were all like, there's more of us? Like in, in a way that was, but we naturally, because we understood and had been like shaken by these institutions and spaces in such a way that we were so traumatized that we were just, so, it was a breath of fresh air. It was the opposite of competition and feeling like, oh, who's that? It was like a, ooh, we can do something together, my God. Yes people and I think that that's also what the Latinx playwright circle is with for me a bit I'm not going to put that on that, that <laughs> on you but like for me seeing that was just kind of like a fuck yes because we don't need them mm -hmm. we just were hidden behind them because they were holding us behind them we don't need them so anyway sorry I got passionate but you know it's true it's like you know, I started doing theater in Chicago and there aren't a lot of Dominicans in Chicago. So there really wasn't um, a, a 
a reference point for me in, in that sense, right? Like there's a lot of Latinx theater artists in Chicago, but um, not a not not a lot like me get the visibility. Um, so I was very much interested in figuring out where they all were. Um, and I actually found out about Marco Antonio Rodriguez, who's he's not Afro-Latino, but he is Dominican. Um, and I found out about him before moving here. I remember a friend of mine who was from New York um, and moved to Chicago. Um, he was like, oh, do you know this playwright? Um, and I was like, oh, no. And that was at the time when he his play at uh, Repertorio Español, Ashes of Light, um, had come out. And that was like the idea that there's another Dominican playwright like who's actually getting stuff produced and is is featured in the New York Times. Like to me, that was like, yes, like we are out here doing this work and this is possible. It's just a matter of how do we connect with each other and and really create the thing of like, we come in numbers, so you can't deny us, you know? Mm-hmm. And moving here, I, I'm gonna be honest, like I legit thought my experience was gonna be so much different than yeah. in Chicago. And it's been really frustrating to have to live in a neighborhood with, that is predominantly, you know, Dominican, that is predominantly one thing. And theater refuses to acknowledge, like theater here in New York City refuses to acknowledge Dominicans in a way that to me is actually violent. Mm. Because when you think of all these theater artists, artistic directors, whoever, that gentrify the Heights and then go to theater or Dominicans, I don't, I don't know who these people are. They're the neighbors that you're fucking kicking out of the mm. neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? It's like violently re- um, removing people from their homes and then pretending like they don't exist when it comes to doing theater work, you know. And then when you look at the data of how Latinx folk, I think, are like almost thirty percent of the population in New York City, Dominicans being the, you know, the biggest population. And again, it's like then why isn't that reflected on theater, on New York theater stages? Right. Where Latinx work is like, I think like less than 10%, yeah. you know? So it's like, it's this cognitive, again, it's like this cognitive dissonance of like, you're really not reflecting the reality of the city that you're living in. And so that's also a lot of what drives me as an artist and as an advocate is this thing of like, you can't keep denying that we exist. Mm. I'm also a loud mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so mm. it's like, I will fucking yell and we'll be up in your institutions yelling about how y'all need to like have more, you know, be more representative of the city that you're living in because otherwise you are living in, in fallacy. You are mm. existing in fallacy, you know? And, and I will say that a lot of that does come from watching black theater artists that I know and I love be be hella unapologetic about their work and their existence and their humanity. And and I feel that that it's so important for us to also live in that being unapologetic about our humanity and live that truth as artists, right? Because that that informs so much of the art that we end up ultimately doing. Absolutely. Come on. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) These gems, 100%. Um, And so, you know, I feel like I, I mentioned a bit earlier that like 
Broadway in a way has been flipped on its head, especially with this pandemic. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, what are some ways you think we can start to challenge Broadway to make space for more than just the Lin-Manuel's and their Hamilton? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Broadway is its own beast because Broadway is money. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did take like a... Um, a Broadway producers course like that's one of the things that I did <laughs> come on Broadway producers um and the, the like the workshop was being taught by you know Broadway producers and when you see the money that goes into Broadway it's ridiculous like the millions of dollars that are needed to put on the show, right? and so you know there's very much the thing of how do we create work? That's that's number one for me. It's like the work, right? Who are the composers? Who are the writers? Who are the lyricists, right? And that's just musicals, but even just plays. What are the plays that are, you know, can be um, put on Broadway and who are the ones that are supporting it? You know, and I think of someone, for example, like John Leguizamo. I have my comments. Feelings, <laughs> but even someone like him who has the visibility that he does, it was a journey for him to get Latinx um, history for morons, which I prefer to call uh, not the full Latinx history for morons. Um, yeah, he forgot about us. You- and i went to see it and i will say this and i always say that it's not as a defense to him i took my dad to see it you know and because i was like well the history and i didn't know the play i didn't think we were going to be excluded actually i thought the opposite because you know we existed already and we were being talked about already by that time um but the history i did learn i did not know i really didn't know and i think the highlight for me was to see my father experiencing that and I saw the validation in his face like I Mm -hmm. saw the like in a way that was deeper than what I was experiencing it and then I realized almost similarly to what Skittle said and John is old too so like Mm -hmm. my freedom fighter that's not to say I excuse him for it but I just yeah yeah. (laughs) I wasn't even waiting for him anyway like you know I'm like I wasn't even waiting for you but to see my dad experience that show I was like actually fuck yes and then at his fantasize when Skittles and I went he wanted to award and he spoke and ironically in his speech the focus of the change and when he was talking about the latinx community was afro latinos mm. so i was like either somebody called him out and he listened you know what i mean or he has a great marketing team but mm. he was talking about afro latinos heavy in a way where i was sitting there like touche motherfucker because this is a good speech and you write about what you're saying about it. <laughs> <laughs> saying about us you know what I mean he was doing the whole like we have to stop doing this thing where we ignore Afro-Latinos da, da, da. and in my head I'm like but you ignore us but you saying it so I'm gonna just keep my cool because you're saying it I, you know what I mean like and I'm much rather than cancel culture I'm much rather say if you're gonna say that all right now you said it so let me hold you to your words let me usher you into what that needs to look like because you said it I didn't even force you to do it right so anyway but you were saying John Leguizamo also had to struggle. (laughs) (laughs) But even bringing that show to Broadway was a journey and, you know, the fights to have to get to get it to, to get it to that point. And I, you know, I'm still struggling with 
how what does that look like on Broadway because Broadway has more to do with the producers who are willing to front the money to mm-hmm. put the on there and it's like so how do we get moneyed Latinx folk and money mm-hmm. Latinx folk to invest in getting these shows I mean when you look at like Eclipse <laughs> wait what'd you say I said Lynn <laughs> You got money, create the yeah, space, you Lynn. Money. <laughs> you got that Disney money, Lynn. Disney money. Create the space, Lynn. <laughs> but, but you know, when you look at Eclipse, like that was that was three black producers, three celebrity. Pro- Actually, I think it was more. It was like it was a bunch of black celebrities that were like, "We're gonna put this story." But it, Lupita Nyong'o was also fighting for that story. Mm. Be on Broadway because she, I think it was like she came across it at Yale when she was in school. And same thing with like Fela Kuti when when that was put out. That was black celebrity money. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, how are Latinx celebrity money? supporting this you know it's like on your feet who was producing that who was Mm. behind that and that's the thing right because and and this is when art becomes so entrenched with capitalism in the ways of like does broadway actually then serve us in the way Mm. you know we want it to serve us it really doesn't because if it takes millions of dollars that we just don't have to put up a show to be able to be nominated for a tony award it's like then what really is our true investment in our work and, and how, what, what is it that we really care about at the end of the day? You know? Which is crazy because I feel like if only these people with this money knew how much people would turn out for this work, how much the community, how much they would gain from it monetarily right. by just investing in it because the community will support the art that's being produced yes but <laughs> uh hamilton wasn't really seen by by many black and brown folk until it was on the disney channel like, yeah i mean well, yeah <laughs> other conversation about broadway is accessibility it's yes like- yes yes and edu- and even and education period like yeah. The schools that our kids are going to don't have music classes, period. So they're not even they're not even considering going to become the composer or going to become the playwright or going to become uh, even the dancer or the singer or the actor because they don't have access to the education that would lead them down the path to go and and make the community bigger. <laughs> right. And then the responsibility is like you wonder if it's like, okay, so then is that the playwright's responsibility to then really make try to make it as accessible to audiences as much as possible like i think of slave play which is mm, i never watched it or read it but i have to i know I, i'm not putting that on you sis uh, <laughs> I've, been told, I've been told i have to and i was like okay, okay well someone else well it has it has 12 tony nominations right yeah but what I thought was really dope that Jeremy O'Harris did was this thing of making the tickets as accessible as possible. Creating mm. Black Theater Night, you know, getting white patrons to, to sponsor motherfuckers. Like, do you know mm. what I'm saying? Like, he was really, like, invested in making sure that Black people were going to see this play. 
Mm. And it's like, so then what are we doing? Like we as Latinx, right? I'm not saying like we as black because, right? But like, what are we who are part of the Latinx community really doing to get our folk to see, to see our work? Because mm. I mean, I know for me, like I write for the Dominican community. I don't write for, Brian. I don't write for the white gays. Or like, yeah. Right. Like, and you know, and I write for black folk. Like I write, I write for my people. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's who I want invested in my work, right? And if you know white folk are able to connect with it, great. Right. I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. Like if I'm as a storyteller, people are gonna connect with the story regardless, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's the same reason why we can read Greek mythology and fuck with it because we get it. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the mm-hmm. storyteller. But the specifics of the story and the nuance of the story, like that's it's up on me you know and but knowing that and a play gets to like broadway or it gets to like one of these big off-broadway theaters it's like then what is my role as the playwright as the creator of this work to make sure that my community is coming to see this work right like that's it's so it's so layered like theater is so layered and and being a theater practitioner a bipoc practitioner of theater is so layered because there's all these things and it also depends on how much you give a fuck. If you don't give a fuck, then you're just writing your work and you want your ship to be produced and then you go home and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, what? what's really your investment in writing for your community? Yes. Oh, girl, what a gem. <laughs> and I honestly, like, I, to the same vein of that, um, and I'll close, like, you know, I'll, I'll close with this question. People keep saying theater is dead. And, and so what I am finding right now is both with the revolution of what's happening and on top of that, the added layer of Broadway having to figure itself out in a new way. And when I say Broadway, I also mean off-Broadway because to me, or as an Afro-Latinx, like as a Dominican, um, even, I've just always found that the lane there felt just as difficult as Broadway. So I could be tied at Broadway, but I'm tied at off-Broadway already. <laughs> or I could get mad at Broadway. They're not even letting me get to level one. Like, it's frustrating. <laughs> um, so I get, I have the same energy towards them. I say that to say that. Um, but I just kind of feel like part of the struggle that they're having, and the only reason people are saying that theater is dead, is what they mean is that theater as the huge monetization of theater that was happening for people is dead because that monetization had to do with seating placement and the the way in which they were able to build exclusivity in the particular way. And now it's the exclusivity also includes exclusivity of safety. And that is not something that you can class out too much. You know what I mean? Without being like side-eyed, like really you're going to like make people pay more to risk their life less. That's crazy. Right. (laughs) But if they did it, I wouldn't put it past them. I'm just going to say that now in case, you know, you know, this, this dates itself. And then later we get an article from the New York Times about how they're selling fucking Broadway tickets in tiers of safety. Uh, But it's about about (laughs) the money. They can't make the money the same. I'm looking at Broadway and the the particular streets from whatever the fuck it starts to wherever the fuck it ends, not being the center of it anymore as the biggest fucking gift that I got as a theater artist out of this pandemic because now if it's about the artistry now if it's just about creating act you have to do theater what on zoom no if you're going to take it on zoom where is it going to go it has to go back to the streets and and at that point now like you know it creates an opportunity where like yeah theater in the Bronx 
Yeah, theater, wherever the fuck, because we don't need to take the train to the 42nd Street. Fuck it. It's nothing there for you mm. anymore. So now I think for me, it's it's almost like I have very for a very long time ago let go of this notion that I was going to make my financial career out of being a playwright. That's why I do 10 million other things. Because my real heart in being an artist is about being able to say, yeah, I was part of the revolution where when Broadway closed, we were in the fucking Heights or we were in fucking Park Chester by the little fountain and we were doing theater and it was for the people and it's exactly what I yap about. And I feel like I have an opportunity to walk the walk behind the talk of how theater is, is bigger than what we allow it to be in the constraints of that structure. But it's easy for me to say as somebody who's saying, I also don't think this is how I'm gonna make my money. So, I'm putting that out there, but I do feel like there's a huge opportunity. So to me, theater is not, theater, the industry of, of the financials might be very weak right now, but the artistry is more alive than it's ever fucking been. So there's no way theater is gonna die. Theater started in the streets. You know what I mean? So I'm like, we gotta go back to basics, baby, relax. You don't have the power right now. Until you do, right? Because Lord knows how they're gonna figure it out. But I'm just curious about Charles thoughts about that. <laughs> um, I will say a lot of theaters, um, specifically off-Broadway theaters, don't, the money that they have, they don't make it from ticket sales. It's donations. Mm. It's donations, it's grants, it's um, subscribers, like, you know, mm. ticket sales, but a great majority of these theaters, the money comes from wealthy people giving the money you know, from their board and all that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so theater can be reinvented. Like, it doesn't have to be in a space. Absolutely, right? But it's like, it's the thing of how do you change a way of doing things that people will will buy into and people will see the benefits of it. Um, I don't think theater is dead. I do agree with you, Julissa. It's a matter of, like, taking it back to the streets and, and really seeing how there's the thing of we've something that has also been with me is is we've been doing theater the same for the past how old is Shakespeare Shit. you know what I'm saying mm. it's it's that and and I, it's very Greco-Roman it's very British right but I'm also very much like well okay cool so how were my ancestors doing theater Right. Mm -hmm. think of how our ancestors would come together in for example like with Tainos when they would come together in the boyos and you know in the bates and and create music and 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 tell stories because that's how they kept their history alive right. that's a form of theater you're doing that you know with the community that's theater yeah. or during rituals and ceremonies where the where everyone is there watching these that's theater yeah you know the performances at the cuando se montan los santo and you're doing that's a theatrical that shit is theatrical that's, <laughs> that's the theatrical thing of it and i'm i'm just i'm more interested in seeing in the ways in which we can we can really think outside of how we've been doing theater in the ways that are reflective of of our cultural differences and our experiences you know the things that i love about experimental theater and even like immersive theater right is because it's fucking different mm. it's not the usual shit that you go and you see you have two acts you know you go pee in the middle and then you come back and you sit down you know what i'm saying like like what what are the different ways that we can we can do theater and 
to me that's exciting because it's like mm-hmm. we're going to revolutionize and and not even revolutionize because that sounds real like oh you know <laughs> like just mm-hmm. things, like super like even to the basics it's like how can we let artists be artists right how can we let artists use their complete imagination to tell this story that they want to tell right you know because that's also the other thing when you look at like how white supremacy works it's forcing non-white folk to operate in the in the ways in which white white folks operate so it's like i have to do theater how you do theater but that's not how i tell stories right can i do it in Mm. my way no because this is how we do things and it's like can we allow for a different way of telling stories a different way of doing theater so I, yeah, I don't think it's dead. I also, you know, right now with, because of, you know, Black Lives Matter and the pandemic, I'm also seeing a lot of, you know, white folks moving away from being allies to becoming co-conspirators. And that to me is really exciting. Mm. Because it's like, how are you going to become involved in this movement in the ways that you haven't been involved? And how can we work together to really push forward what true equity looks like, especially in theater? Mm-hmm. in general for our communities our neighbors and our family members but as artists what does that look like in theater and I find that really exciting it's I'm also really loving seeing young black and brown kids like just really fucking shit up and like being creative like yeah. I know people have issues with TikTok but I'm like these kids they're are creative as fuck here. these kids are creative as fuck the babies shall lead yeah, yeah. I'm here for the I'm here for the TikTok kids. Like, I am. Because some of it is really fucking creative. Mm-hmm. Like, and granted, like, there's that level of, like, oh, well, they're taking audio and they're taking this and that, that from stuff that's already been creative, but they're really being transformative with it. Like, I'm here for the kids. I'm here for the kids. But I think overall, yeah, I'm I'm just really interested to see how theater is going to transform. I am mm-hmm. interested to see how our voices are going to really inject itself. I think because theater is, you know, down, like is one leg out right now, that even the use of technology and how that plays a role in theatrics is going to um, create more space for more theater makers. And excuse me, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm just excited to see what happens. Oh. And, Word. and the ability of that, like, there's so many folks who, you know, who are disabled that are, aren't able to make it because let's be real, a lot of these theaters are not up to fucking ADA code. Mm-mm. So no. it's like, yeah. and or, you know, the abuela and the tia that are like, theater's not for me because they're not used to seeing stories about them. Yeah. Right. So creating accessibility in a way where it's like anyone can, can have the ability to like tune in or to participate in, in, you know, taking this in. And I think that that was like the thing that was really smart about Hamilton. It's like, everyone watched it. Yeah. Like if you didn't have a TV, obviously that's a different mm-hmm. conversation or you can't afford Disney, but <laughs> you're, you're fine. <laughs> I, haven't, I just wanted to admit that I haven't I actually was listening to the soundtrack this weekend I was trying and I just didn't have the attention span. I'm ba- I'm a visual person. I'm not just, I can listen to sound, um, Broadway soundtrack after I've already made a connection with the piece, but if I haven't yet, sometimes it's hard. And it's hard when it's hip hop sounding like this. And I, <laughs> I, 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 I sound 
like that. So when I hear it, I'm like, okay. Listen, I would just, <laughs> I think that the Disney Plus way of doing it was extremely smart. You know, um, I yeah. think as someone who saw it on Broadway and then saw it on Disney, I got it more on Disney because of the way it was shot. Um, I just feel well, I and also what played a factor in that was that I didn't have glasses when I saw it live, so it was just like a lot of blurry, blurry movement, <laughs> um, mixed with fast rapping that I like was like, what? <laughs> um, but um, so the Disney, the Disney did help me understand it more, but I'm in the Heights girl all day because I just like it better, and I don't like it in Hamilton as much. <laughs> it because there is making mistake claims and I didn't feel well represented and I <laughs> that's literally it I'm not even saying it's poorly written I'm not saying that the same the songs ain't cute I watched it and I remember feeling a surge of like this isn't really it this feels like Sesame Street but I'm glad we up here so I mm-hmm. did have that moment of the like I'm not mad at it but come on bro but also maybe he wasn't allowed and I think I just played into this well he wouldn't have gotten away with it if it was what I wanted it to be um and I've still waited for the moment that he makes something that to me feels like it's making it and he's making a statement and he's not afraid to be raw because it's not that he's just on it looks like raw like a rawness like if you ever yeah but I don't I don't think he's raw I just think he's waiting that's no that's what I'm saying that's what she's saying yeah yeah she's saying that 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 rawness isn't there for her yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I could be like oh I love this or that I don't love Hamilton and I don't love in the heights I just represented because it was the first time I heard the word Dominican on a stage and it was like Mm -hmm. it was shocking and there's just something about that you know what I mean Mm -hmm. people felt some type of way when they saw West Side Story and maybe there was a level of representation even though they were completely Mexican music (laughs) it's the it's but it's the weird like we have nothing so when we get something, sometimes it's hard to not get a little excited. It's how I felt watching the Super Bowl show with Shakira and With J- J-Lo and Shakira. Get down, bitches, but you look good. But get down off that stage. Damn, you did it. And it's just like this like fucking like duality of like the pride because I knew what I meant. But also like really now is not the time for this Woo! one. But is it not the time? Ways in which we're made pawns. I just like, I was like torn between the two. Anyway. I'm rambling. I'm just saying I'm very interested to see how theater is going to transform. Um, and I hope to see, you know, Guada- I, I can't wait until everybody's talking about Guadalisa's play and that Guadalisa. Yes. Because I'm going to be there like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to take that flag right behind me. I'm going to be in the audience with the flag. You yes. better. You better. Can I say like my, like real talk, like I've had conversations before, like I really, I don't know how I feel about these loud audiences. I love loud ass fucking audience. <laughs> it reminds me of my abuela yelling at the TV watching her telenovela. Like, <laughs> I love it when audiences have a reaction watching your shit because it's like, yes. what the fuck else am I writing this for? Yes, come on. No, like, yes, I want to hear. Like, what my first play in Chicago, like, we had audiences who were like, like out loud. Like, they were like, oh, I love like that. I love that. Like, please let me know that you are watching and enjoying. Yes, yes. Have a human reaction to this human story. I love it. Yes, yes. And when we do revolutionize theater, I'm gonna speak into existence because I don't write plays, but I want to be in plays. 
for Kathleen. Yes. <laughs> Kittles. I've, I've seen your videos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're working. Listen, I'm a really good best friend. That's my new tagline. <laughs> I'm you're a really also, funny best friend. Also a very good lead. <laughs> Aw, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Guadalice, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been such a joy. I hope you've had fun with us too. Okay. Uh, let everybody know where we can find you, follow your work, any new projects that are coming up, any shout outs, anything, anything. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, well, uh, the Latinx Playwright Circle, I mean, we did our greater good. Congratulations, Julie. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um i believe it's still up on um pregones like social medias um but we also have two other readings to finish out our first season which is wild our first season was the virtual one um and that's happening at the end of november and the beginning of december um we'll have andres osorio's play the hostel play and andrew rincon's play um the lonely Nice. which are two really beautiful plays and that'll finish out our season um i have no clue what's happening with bees and honey because i don't know what's gonna happen to theater next year so <laughs> we'll see um i am on instagram guadalice dc it is private but if you request me <laughs> and a little dm that lady subrancha okay. sent you yes yes <laughs> just, say, just say ladies who bronche sent you um <laughs> And Facebook, I'm on Facebook. I'm constantly yelling on Facebook, so <laughs> hear me. Um, and uh, when is this episode dropping? This Sunday. Um, this Sunday? <laughs> I'm like, I can I talk? I am producing um, a festival coming up, um, but it's in December. So I'm like, I don't know if I can talk about it yet. <laughs> but be on the lookout. Well, be on the lookout. Yeah. We'll reshare. We'll reshare. Stuff, stuff is coming. Um, I just can't like say much, but just be on the lookout. That's for sure. Let's. Awesome. Skittles, yes. Find us. And y'all can find us at Lady on Instagram, Lady Subruncha on Twitter, Lady Subruncha on YouTube, at Julisa on Instagram for Julisa, and at The Real Skittles with a Z for me. Uh, Ooh, bars, right? <laughs> Yeah, really appreciate y'all. <laughs> and we really appreciate you and everyone listening. Thanks for joining us today. And until next time, bronche. <laughs>